Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. I was invited to this music festival and so I flew down to Sydney for it and I was feeling so tired especially because there were such long days on set sometimes like 12 13 hours and I remember feeling so fatigued and I went to the music festival I had a sip of tequila and soda water and all of a sudden something just popped in my neck and I was like oh and I stopped drinking I was like okay I must be really run down like I need to go and have some ginger and eat some garlic because I thought it was a swollen gland at the time because it just like pops like that. And then I went home for two weeks after that, I tried to take care of myself. And what I thought was a gland was just getting bigger and bigger. And I was so fatigued. I was so tired. I was trying to drink tea and trying to eat all these healthy things. But also I was feeling terrible. So of course I was eating a lot of sugar as well. And then I went to see a naturopath and she was like, you need to go to the hospital. Hey there, it's Light Watkins. Welcome back to the podcast. Did you know that you can watch these podcast interviews on YouTube? Because I know for me, sometimes it's nice to put a face to a story. So just keep in mind that in case you are the same, I post every episode on my YouTube channel, which you can find by just searching Light Watkins Podcast. And I also post the raw, unedited version of every podcast in my Happiness Insiders online community. So if you're the type that likes hearing all the mistakes and the false starts and the chit-chat in the beginning and the end of the episodes, then you can listen to all of that by joining my online community, which is thehappinessinsiders.com. And not only will you have access to the unedited versions of the podcasts, but you'll also have access to my 108-day meditation challenge, and there's also a 108-day movement challenge. Okay, so this week, we have a very special guest on the show. Her name is Liana Werner-Gray, and I first crossed paths with Liana, I think, eight or maybe 10 years ago in Venice, California, when I attended a presentation that she gave of her very first book, which is called The Earth Diet. And I remember seeing her for the first time and just thinking about how much she was glowing both inside and out. And since the medium is the message, I was inspired to get the book and I started implementing a lot of the natural remedies that she recommended in the Earth Diet. The first thing I did was I replaced my stick deodorant by just using baking soda and then she also recommended using lemon juice. And that actually worked very well. And then I went on to some of the other recommendations that she made for pretty much replacing anything pharmaceutical with all these crazy ingredients with natural solutions. So there were solutions for toothpaste and solutions for laundry detergent, et cetera, et cetera. And her backstory was fascinating, too. So long story short, Leona grew up in the Australian outback with a dad who lived off the land and a mom who was a minimalist. 
And so those were her roots. But when she became a young adult, she moved to the city and she began to abandon her natural lifestyle. She began eating lots of processed foods and sugary foods. And when she turned 21, she discovered a tumor that was growing in her neck. It was the size of a golf ball. The doctor said it was cancerous. And naturally, they wanted to cut it out and put her on all kinds of chemo and radiation. But something deep inside of her told her to first try changing her diet and going back to her natural lifestyle, which included juicing and eating mostly plants. So she tried that. She committed to it. And within three months, her tumor completely went away and it has not come back since. Meanwhile, Liana, in the process, became obsessed with the healing power of nature And she challenged herself to find one natural alternative a day for 365 days to the junk food that she was used to consuming. And that became the blog, which was The Earth Diet, which ultimately became the book also known as The Earth Diet. Since then, Liana has written two other books, including Cancer-Free Food and most recently, Anxiety-Free Food. She's also launched a supplement called Anxiety-Free, which she created after dealing with a bout of depression and anxiety a few years after she beat cancer. And she discovered that she was deficient in a nutrient that is known to cause anxiety if you don't have it in your diet. So needless to say, it was a fascinating conversation and I'm excited for you to learn more about the earth diet and how to live cancer and anxiety free. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Miss Liana Werner Gray. Liana Werner Gray. <laughs> so exciting and honored and humbled to have you on the podcast. And I, I add that humble part on there because in my preparation for this conversation, I did a lot of research into your backstory and you've done a lot and you've definitely gone the extra mile several times in not only healing yourself, but also in, in helping to inform your circle of influence on how to do the same. I know that's no small feat. So I'm excited to dig a little deeper into your backstory and give context to all the wonderful things that you've done. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on to my podcast. Of course, Light. I'm so happy to be here. I love that we met so many, many years ago. Yeah, I know. I was trying to think about the year. It would have been around 2008 or 2009 or something like that. But it's been a while. Actually, it would have been eight years ago, I think. Yeah, I think eight it was. That's when your book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I meet people, you meet people all the time, but you don't really know people's backstory. And I did pick up your book at the time, The Earth Diet, and I used it. And I think I told you I stopped wearing deodorant for a period of time. I started using baking soda and lemons and stuff like that. And then I started just using other alternative natural sources. So I got a bunch of other stuff out of that book. I was a hardcore vegan at the time as well. So I really love that. And it's kind of fun to be able to go back now and just kind of see how you got to that point where you you originally self-published that book and then you end up getting picked up by Hay House. Okay, so let's take it way back though. You started off, you grew up in, was it Alice Springs, which is in the middle of Australia? What was the vibe like back in Alice Springs? Oh my gosh, the vibe is amazing. I recommend everyone go visit, you know, when especially in America go to Australia, not everyone makes it to the middle, to the outback. Mm-hmm. There's only one flight that goes 
day. There's about 25,000 people, very small town. I loved growing up there. My school was an Aboriginal school, public school. So we had a very Indigenous rich culture growing up and we learned about Aboriginal history. And I absolutely loved growing up there. We were barefoot every single weekend. You know, we had to wear shoes to school, (laughs) but every weekend barefoot and we would go camping as a family out in the bush. And we learned so much about Indigenous culture. And that's really what shaped me into who I am today and why I do what I do. And I remember from age five was the earliest I can remember was learning from the Indigenous people because they would take us out on school excursions and teach us how to survive in the outback from nature. And they basically taught us how they survived for 60,000 years before white men came, before they came and wanted to create the civilization. They survived for 60,000 years. And I remember thinking, wow, like they had no gas stations, no candy, no lollies, like no processed foods. They only ate from what they had from their environment and they healed from what they had in their environment and they thrived. And then growing up there, my first grandfather died when I was nine of cancer and my second one when I was 12. And I remember learning from the indigenous people that they never had cancer. Cancer was not a thing. And either was diabetes or obesity or any of the diseases that we have today. And so that's when I remember thinking like, wow, the indigenous people are very wise and I should follow their lead as best I can. (laughs) So you made that connection as a child that these were wise people. Do you remember any specific anecdotes or remedies that you learned? Because you mentioned that as part of your schooling, you guys would go off and learn how to live off the land and things like this. Was there anything specifically that you witnessed firsthand and you were like blown away? Like, wow, I can't believe this actually worked. Yeah. I had to find water and Alice Springs is very dry. You know, at one point it didn't rain for seven years. (laughs) It's like literally the bush hottest place in Australia. And so they would teach us how to find water, even though you couldn't actually see water with the eyes. So they would teach us how to look for certain riverbanks, even though they've dried up and which areas to go. And then just to dig and dig and dig and dig and wait for the water to come up. Once you dig further enough, wait for the water to appear. And then you let it settle for a few hours. And then that's your drinking water. And then they also taught us how to filter the water if it was dirty with certain leaves. So I thought that was just absolutely fascinating because it's not something we could see with our physical eyes, but it existed. And as a child, I just thought that was so magical. And another one was finding bush lollies. We call candy in Australia lollies. And so we go out and there's certain leaves that have this like kind of like fairy floss, like this white fairy floss looking very like fluffy coating over the leaves and it's edible. And so we would take the leaves and then lick them. And it was like this little sweet, like fairy floss. And I just thought, this is so amazing. I don't need to ask my mom for like 50 cents to go to the store and buy lollies. I can just go out, find these leaves and lick them. And I'm getting free lollies. It just was mind blowing to me as a child. (laughs) So your mom was kind of a minimalist. Your dad was a bit of a naturalist. What were some of the ideologies or philosophies that you heard growing up from your parents? Anything that you remember that they would echo around when you were spending time with, because I know they were separated, but when you were spending time with both of them. Yeah, well, my mom taught me that all you need in your wardrobe is a pair of jeans and five different t-shirts. <laughs> Just wear jeans every day and switch the t-shirts up. 
And then she grew a garden as well, which was amazing just to see her grow all these things. So I knew also that was possible, like growing a garden. And then my father was like, even today, the most natural person I know to the extreme. And he didn't have a TV, no radio. He would get his own water from the well and have solar power. And that's how he would have energy to fuel his home. My sister and I, when we were growing up, we were just like, oh, this is a bit boring. Like, this is too extreme. And now I have so much respect for that kind of lifestyle. I mean, he really lived off the land and very, very natural, as natural as possible. So growing up, I knew that that was possible to do that, to still get your water. And he didn't have electricity all the time because, you know, solar, you only get it every now and then. But he made it work and was very happy. Hey there, really quickly, have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day. I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. Hmm. So when your grandparents both passed of cancer, what was that conversation like? Was it tied to food or lifestyle or any of that? Or did you just kind of treat it like it was this random thing that occurred and, you know, oh, well, too bad for them? Well, my first grandfather who died when I was nine, he died of bowel cancer. And so at that age, I didn't know there was a connection with food and cancer and neither did my family really. When I was 12, though, my second grandfather had obesity and he's actually, bless his soul, he's so amazing, but he's actually the one who introduced me to McDonald's and popcorn, <laughs> and so he was teaching me all these Canadian American foods. So I remember thinking, okay, he's eating all these foods and he has obesity and now he's dying of stomach cancer. And the, I looked to the indigenous elders and they did not have obesity and they were very, very healthy. And that's when I remember thinking, making that connection, that the healthiest way for us to live is to be as close to nature as possible and to eat as much foods from nature as possible. And I knew that my grandfather was not eating things that were close to nature. The very processed, like lots of fast foods. Mm. You also wrote in your book, your recent book, 
that the indigenous people taught you that healing anything is not guaranteed, but it's possible. Yes. Yes. And I love that. And I know that that can trigger a lot of people, but also that can give a hope to so many people because there are so many people out there suffering, including myself, which we'll get to that part of the story. But when you're suffering that much, and especially for years and years and every day feels so heavy and feels like so much suffering, you want to know healing is possible. And it actually is. And that's what I learned growing up from the Indigenous people. And I'm so grateful for that because in their culture, if someone gets sick or if someone gets a snake bite or a spider bite or something and they get sick, what they do is they all come together. They use nature's remedies. So they find different leaves and things like that and make remedies to help heal whatever it is. And then they come together and they sing to spirit and they pray. And that's their version of God is singing to spirit and connecting. And they really are using all the forces of the community and nature, the actual physical parts of nature and using the spirit to help heal that person. And most people, they had a high, high, high healing turnover. And so if someone got sick, they just didn't give up on them and be like, you know, you have to die. They tried all that they could. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And so when I meet people now who are suffering, especially with cancer or addiction or things like that, I always tell them that, of course, you have the hope that healing is possible. It's not guaranteed, but we may as well try, right? We may as well put everything that we know we can into it and we increase Mm -hmm. our chances of actually healing and transforming than just completely giving up. And the Indigenous people have a lot of wisdom for us. So that's what I'm teaching. And and we can't go wrong with applying like more of their teachings into our life and our health and our healing. I have a bit of a random question. Back in Alice Springs, you mentioned there were a fair amount of Indigenous people. There were also a pocket of Americans there working for NASA and whatnot. Were the Indigenous people and their wisdom, was it highly regarded or was there like lots of racism that you remember as a young person and they were seen as like backwater people who were not sophisticated or civilized? So what was that relationship like? There was a lot of racism in Alice Springs, a lot. People seemed to either have compassion for the Indigenous people or they had a strong hate and violence towards the Indigenous people. Because I grew up at school learning about the Indigenous culture, I had a lot of compassion for them because I learned that they were living peacefully off the land and doing a great job at it. And then the white people came in and totally destroyed them, took their way and did horrific things, very similar to America with the Native Indians. And so I knew that that's why, like they had been suppressed for so long. And so there is some drug abuse with Indigenous people or petrol sniffing that they do now to try and get rid of that pain and that conditions of pain. And there's still people that haven't been able to express it or had their voices heard. They're called the stolen generation. And so they act out sometimes. And then so the white people can look at that and be like, oh, they're so entitled. The government gives them money, they give them everything. Whereas as a kid, I always looked at it like, well, they were here first. And my mom, she is so amazing. You know, she told me at a young age, I remember the first time I realized I wasn't black and I came home and I was like, why am I so white? Why am I different? Because to me and a lot of people at my school, we regarded Aboriginals as the superior race. They were the ones 
I put them on a pedestal and was like, they are amazing and we want to be more like them. And my mom was like, you are different. You're white. They were here first. And so I always had a lot of respect for them. And she says, you know, make friends with them and you'll be protected forever, especially at school with bullying and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there was a lot of racism, which was, was hard sometimes to see, but that's in every culture where there's that diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And something shifted with you personally when you were around 16 years old, you discovered 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah. Talk about Seven. that transition and yeah. how that affected you over those next five years. Yeah. When I hit 16, I was dealing with a lot of emotion and trauma in the family that I did not know how to navigate. And it's not something that's taught at schools, you know, as you know, it's like, okay, what happens if there's trauma in the family or sexual abuse in the family or all these horrific things? We're not taught that. And so I started to feel really bad emotions and I did not know what to do with them. And so I found a way to escape them basically. And I didn't like drugs. And so I found food. I found 7-Eleven because I never really had a lot of sugar growing up. I went to 7-Eleven and found all this lollies and started eating fast foods and it was a drug. And I would feel high, like so high. Like I was like superhero. I could do anything, you know, for five or 10 minutes. I felt amazing. And I was relieved of all these heavy negative feelings. And then of course come crashing down after and then felt even worse. So I just kept myself in this vicious cycle of kept eating more and more of these sugary foods and processed foods and fried foods and would feel great for a little bit. And then, you know, a couple hours later, just keep eating more and more and more. And then mentally and emotionally, I felt so bad because I looked at the food and I was like, this is so far removed from nature. I'm literally not eating this food that comes from earth from what I learned. And so even though I had the concept of live as naturally as possible and you'll be healthy forever and you reduce your risk of getting any health issue, any disease ever, I knew that as a logical principle, but I had this like strong emotional urge just to go and eat all this sugar and binge on it as a way to suppress those emotions that I didn't know how to deal with. Yeah, so that was the start of my 7-Eleven journey. (laughs) So as you were becoming a young adult and obviously indulging in this kind of fast food lifestyle and, and probably as just a fast lifestyle in general as a young person, and working in this like nightclub industry and television and film and stuff like that in Australia, what was your idea of success? What did that look like to you at that time? At that time, I mean, with work, success to me looks like making money. <laughs> My family had not much money growing up. And so it was just making money, surviving, basically being able to pay rent, buy food, buy clothes. That was my idea of success at that time, especially when I moved from Alice Springs to Brisbane City to go to university and start working. And then also, I just wanted to be healthy. Every single week, I would say on Monday, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to go back to nature again. And just I'm never going to eat lollies ever again. And I would say that every single week. And then Monday would come and I just had such a big craving. So success to me also looked like somehow battling this impulsive or addiction that I had to these foods, to this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. 
And it all culminates at this music festival. Can you tell us what happened at the music festival? Yeah. When you were 21. So at the time, you know, my biggest passion was film and television. And I was working on different productions and going to university for it. And it was fascinating. It was very like fast paced lifestyle. It was like so fun. And then I was invited to this music festival. And so I flew down to Sydney for it. And I was feeling so tired, especially because there were such long days on set, sometimes like 12, 13 hours. And I remember feeling so fatigued. And I went to the music festival. I had a sip of tequila and soda water. And all of a sudden, something just popped in my neck. And I was like, ooh. And I stopped drinking. I was like, okay, I must be really run down. Like, I need to go and have some ginger and eat some garlic because I thought it was a swollen gland at the time because it just like popped like that. And then I went home for two weeks after that, I tried to take care of myself. And what I thought was a gland was just getting bigger and bigger. And I was so fatigued. I was so tired. I was trying to drink tea and trying to eat all these healthy things, but also I was feeling terrible. So of course I was eating a lot of sugar as well. And then I went to see a naturopath and she was like, you need to go to the hospital. This looks yeah. real bad because she had throat cancer and she knew what that looks like. So I went to the hospital and they did a biopsy, which was awful, especially coming from an indigenous rich town where you don't do surgeries, right? You don't get needles, you don't get knives like cut into you, things like that. So that was like very horrific for me to be feel like just prodded like that. And then I remember after the, getting the biopsy done, I remember thinking like, what have I done to myself? And I knew that I had done it to myself because of all of the food, all the junk food I'd, I'd eaten. And I deprived myself of nutrition for five years. I had a lot of nutrition. So the results came back. I had a 3.7 centimeter tumor in my lymphatic system, which is the body sewage system. So then I realized, okay, if that's my body storage system, it's obviously backed up. And I worked with a naturopath and a functional medicine doctor who explained it all to me too. They were like, you put too many toxins into your body that your lymphatic system can't do its job anymore. So now it has a tumor. And for some people that can lead to breast cancer as well. My gut was also just so swollen, so big. And I was heavier than I am now. I was yellow. My eyes were yellow. I did a live blood test and I had, I saw parasites in my blood, like riddled with parasites. It was so disturbing. And I knew all of this was because of the food that I had eaten. And I hadn't eaten real food. I actually hadn't made my own meal. I mm. made a few handfuls of meals the whole time. The natural breath is like, yeah, you're going to have to now go back and like actually start touching your food, start using your healing energy in your food to make your own food and eat it. Cause I literally had eaten out for every single meal. So I left the hospital, you know, I opted out of surgery and they were like, we can see what happens, but if it keeps growing, then you may need to do surgery and then do chemo and radiation eventually down the track. And I just opted out of it. And I was like, if I did this to myself, I know I can undo it. Also, I went and got different opinions and they said, look, it's early stages of cancer. So I felt confident too. It wasn't like they were saying, oh, you have stage four cancer, like you're going to die in two weeks. You need to get a cut out. So I like to tell people that if they're listening, if they do have stage four, it's, it's totally different diagnoses. But I worked with a functional doctor, medical doctor at the time who was helping people with cancer with IVs of nutrients and 
that was restoring nutrition back into the body, boosting the immune system. I couldn't afford that. So I didn't do that. So that's when I started working with the naturopath and I came up with a plan to restore nutrition back into my body as quick as possible to like drain this out. Before we get to this part, I have a couple of questions. You're in Australia, right? So you guys have health care in Australia, but does it cover naturopathic solutions? That's the first question. And the second question, well, really more of a statement is you made a choice not to tell a lot of people initially. And I want you to talk about why you made that choice when you got this diagnosis. Yeah. So Australia does have great healthcare, so we don't have to pay for hospital visits or anything like that. So biopsy and all of the hospital was free, which, you know, I thought that that was the same everywhere in the world. Whereas if that happened to an American, I would have to have health insurance and pay for that. So it doesn't cover naturopathic care. It does not, or any functional medicine. So for that, I had to use, you know, every bit of money I had to pay her. And she also helped me out a lot. She really took me under her wing and felt very bad for me. And she really helped me out a lot and took care of me. And that's why I thank her in my books as well. And I try to pay her here and there when I go back to Australia and just like gift her things and that kind of stuff. But it can be really expensive to have to pay for a natural, natural doctor. And I was very blessed. And I also had great friends who came over and would give the naturopath money for me to help me out. So I was very, very blessed. And I wasn't able to work during the time. So it was three months of no working, like zero working. I was so sick. I was sleeping sometimes 18 hours a day. And so the only thing I was able to do was focus on healing. And then the second question was, yeah, so I chose not to tell anyone. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my nana, my auntie. I didn't tell my family because I didn't want them to be fearful and to add stress to it. And maybe to suggest like, oh, maybe you should do this. You should do this. Like I felt very confident in my healing protocol and I wanted to move forward with it. And I didn't want all the outside influence. And so I know a lot of people when they get diagnosed with cancer or some kind of disease, they can feel very overwhelmed from the family or from friends who are all trying to chip in. So we do have to be very selective of who we choose to share that information with. Yeah. And then also get multiple opinions always, always. And Anita Mojani, I interviewed her for my book, Cancer Free with Food. And she said the same thing. You know, when you get your diagnosis of cancer, you don't have to do a treatment today or tomorrow. The cancer took a while to develop. You can take your time to come up with a protocol, a treatment plan that you feel confident with and comfortable with. So when you talk about golf ball size tumors, right? Can you break down how does that actually form? Is it the body attacking itself? Is it a body repair tissue buildup or how does it relate to toxins going in and the lymphatic system backed up? Good question. So I searched the internet right after I had the biopsy because I thought tumors grew slowly and I thought that they were a cluster of very acidic disease cells that turn cancerous and then they start building and building and growing and growing, which is how a lot of tumors do grow. But there are also types of tumors that just pop when the body's under so much stress. And especially if people are at the gym doing sit-ups or doing extreme pressure, sometimes tumors can just pop because the body's under so much pressure. It's just matter that just explodes. And so mine was in the lymphatic system and it did just pop. But it started out small and then it grew to the 3.7 centimeters. So basically the disease cells just start clustering together and clumping together. 
how I, you know, understood. So in a normal, healthy body, the body's immune system can regulate and maybe even get rid of, discard these diseased cells, but under an unhealthy nervous system, then that's just not happening. And they can just start to form these masses inside. And it can keep growing and growing and growing unless something is done to break it up or to dismantle those cells. Some people have cancer in their lives, but they never know. And they don't die Mm -hmm. of cancer. They have cancer maybe for a couple of years, but the body then regulates and heals itself. Mm -hmm. Like we all have the cancer cells in our body. It's just a matter of if we activate them or not. And especially if it's in our genes. See, for me, it's my grandfather's died of it. My mom also had very advanced breast cancer. And so it's in my genes, just as well as diabetes is in some people's genes and other things. And we have those in our markers. And if we trigger them, then we will get those things. We're predisposed to those things. So it's our job to not trigger those things that are in our genes that are negative. So you were able to dissolve this thing in three months. Walk us through, how did you do that? Yeah. So when I learned about the lymphatic system and that it was my body's sewage system that had backed up, I knew I just had to detox it out. So the naturopath genius, she helped me to understand this and learn this. She's like, we need to clear out your gut because it's all in your gut. And I had five years of just eating the worst foods, just manifesting in my gut. And then I also was taking a lot of laxatives because I would eat so much junk food that I was not going to the bathroom. And it also was a way just to release it and get it out of my body so quickly was to take laxatives. Some people purge, throw up, some people take laxatives. But when we take laxatives, it weakens the muscles in our digestive system. So after five years, my digestive system was relying on laxatives and it was not using its muscles. So I had stuff in there for years, just backed up and just awful. And so she encouraged me to do colonics and coffee enemas. So every day for two months, I did a colonic and then the next day a coffee enema. Every single day, so many colonics and coffee enemas just to get everything out and detox that out. And then also I started drinking bentonite clay. Because when I went to do the live blood test and saw the parasites, they explained to me, if you drink bentonite clay, which is volcanic ash, and the indigenous people from Australia, Hawaii, and India, they ate this for and drank this for a long, long time, thousands of years to purify their body. Mm-hmm. And it absorbs toxins and it, like parasites, locks it into its antibodies and will take it out when it leaves the body. So I started drinking bentonite clay every day as well. And then how t- was I going to all the nutrition back into my body as fast as possible. What's the fastest way to put nutrition into our system? Other than an IV injection, which I could not afford, is juicing. Straight up vegetable juice, no fiber, no pulp. And I was doing vegetable juices, drinking up to six of them a day. Beet juice, green juice, beet juice, green juice. And my mentality was the nutrition in, toxins out, nutrition in, cancer out. It was like juice in, old stuff out. And I knew I was building my new body and building new cells with every single juice I was having. So I really couldn't get enough of them. I was just like juice, 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 juice. And then I was also eating really wholesome things. And then this is how I came up with the earth diet because I finally surrendered and I was like, okay, I've gone as far as I can in my own self. And I was like, God, universe, like I really need help. 
what do I do when I have a craving for chocolate or cookies or cheesecake or ice cream or burgers or fries? What do I do? Like, is there a solution? I started to ask these questions. I was like, I know we need to eat like the indigenous people as natural as possible from the earth. But what about this modern world we live in? There's fast food everywhere and sugar everywhere. And that's when I had the greatest gift of my life. Even today, I still believe it's the greatest gift of my life. And now it's turned into me on a podcast with you and helping so many people. And it's the philosophy of every time you have a craving for something, whether it's fries or chocolate or candy, think, okay, how can I fulfill this in the most natural way possible? And so at that time, there's no whole foods in Australia and barely any organic stores. So I had to go and make recipes for everything. And I I was merging the indigenous approach with the very modern approach of, okay, if I want to have fries, I'm going to make it using potatoes and then I'll bake it at home or fry it in some coconut oil or some olive oil, avocado oil. And I fulfilled my cravings that way. And then that's what helped me to stop craving all of the processed foods and all of those crazy foods that are carcinogenic and neurotoxic. And so that's how the earth diet came about. And I thought, okay, I'll do this for 365 days. I'll only eat foods that come straight from nature and I'll replace every single craving with a recipe. And nowadays it's so easy. There's a product for every craving we have and a recipe as well. I have literally thousands of recipes now because of this. And so that's how I was really able to heal was I had chocolate every single day and I would make these chocolate truffles and I ate 20 of them a day in the beginning because that's what I needed. I needed that healthy chocolate for me to not crave a whole block of Cadbury chocolate and a whole packet of Tim Tams in one sitting. So I would eat 20 of these chocolate truffles and I was getting so much magnesium, protein, so much nutrients from it. It was healing my body, healing the tumor. And it was creating new cellular memory that now I was going to crave this healthy chocolate made with cacao powder, almond flour made with honey, rather than this processed chocolate that has soy lecithin, dairy, and refined white sugar. And so that was my healing protocol. And after three months, the tumor was completely gone, completely dissolved. You mentioned that your friends kind of helped to support you financially during this time. A lot of times, you know, when people accept financial help from friends or family, you kind of feel like you feel a little obligated to listen to their advice about what you should be doing, <laughs> how you should be spending the money. Did you ever have any of those kinds of conflicts where someone wanted to support you, but then they had a very strong opinion of how you should be going about this healing journey and you had to balance that? Or did you have like the angels around you who just gave you money with, with no strings attached? I had angel friends who believed in colonics and juicing. Money <laughs> <laughs> for the path. In fact, they would pay the naturopath directly, sometimes without me knowing. And they believed that that was what was going to heal my body. I was selective with my friends who I was told about it. Obviously, you don't want to tell someone who believes in conventional things. Nice. Then if that's not your belief, because they're going to pressure you into that. So my friends were super supportive of me healing naturally. Beautiful. And so what inspired you to go on the blog spot and set up this blog to start documenting your journey daily? Like, did you read about someone else's blog or you read a book or someone else was doing the same thing and you thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this too? Literally, it was a gift from God because I feel like I've only really heard, like, that's probably the strongest I've ever heard from God in my entire life to date still was that it was like, okay, create this 
only eat foods that come from the earth for 365 days, call it the earth diet. You know, it's the only earth diet that exists and ever will. It's such a blessing. And then the next thought was start a blog because you need accountability. Because nobody in my family or friends knew that I was binge eating on junk food. Nobody knew. I hid it from everyone. So it was like, God knew, like, okay, you need some accountability. So do a blog. And then then I was like, that's such a good idea. And then, you know, I looked up a blog online. I didn't really know what they were because really 2009 was when blogs were just starting. Mm. I found blogspot.com and it looked easy, super basic. And I was like, great. And I just went on there every single day and I was like, today I'm craving this. And this is day one or day 30. And here's what I ate today. I did a food journal. And then I wrote about every time I had a craving for something and here's what I ate instead of having that. And then the blog ended up going viral, which was just so amazing. And it turns out- How did it go viral? What were the mechanics of it going viral? Do you know? I have no idea. All I did was I shared it on my Facebook page to my friends and family. Maybe I had like a hundred of them. And then people started reading it. I think because I was being so vulnerable and open and saying like, look, I'm admitting I was binge eating on junk food for five years and it was horrific. And then it turns out a lot of other people, especially women could relate. They were like, I'm doing the same thing. No one in my family or friends know I'm suffering silently. I thought something was so wrong with me that I was binging all this junk food and I was looking at everyone else and I'm like, no one else is doing this except for me. Something's really wrong with me. So I didn't tell anyone. And then when I was sharing this, a lot of other women were opening up saying like, I haven't told anyone either. I do the same thing. I'll go to the store, eat half the tub of ice cream, throw the other half in the bin. And then I'll go back an hour later and I'll get it out the bin and eat it. This was the kind of things that us women were opening up and saying like, we want to stop this behavior. Like what is happening? And, and also part of the reason why we have an addiction is also because these sugar is so addictive and it does create this cellular memory. So it is a physical component too. It's not just mental and emotional. And so the blog was really helping so many other people. They were also starting to stop their cravings with eating all these natural earth foods as well. And then somehow Prince William's wife found it, Kate, she found the earth diet somehow online. You know, I guess like people just talk and it, I don't know, maybe Blogspot was promoting it too. Yeah, it was such a great journey. And it was actually my readers who gave me the idea then to turn it into a book. You know, at this time, I barely had any money. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I just want to keep living this lifestyle. I want to keep making these recipes. I want to keep sharing this with people. And I was like, how can I make this into a job? This would be amazing. And at the time, like 13 years ago, there was no such thing as a holistic nutritionist, functional nutritionist, health coach. So none of that existed. I was like, how can I do this? And then my readers were like, can you please put all this into a book? That would be amazing if all of the recipes and this content was in a book. So that's how that next chapter evolved. So I tell people when you really lock in on your purpose and you start executing and as soon as you see that you positively impact the life of maybe one or two people, it becomes so addictive and that becomes your fuel to keep going. Was that your experience as well? Did you get feedback from some of your readers about how they were implementing some of the things you were writing about and and how did that affect your drive to continue on? Yeah, absolutely. Some of my readers, especially older women, I was surprised. They were like, I've had bulimia for 16 years and now I'm not purging anymore. Or I've been able to keep weight off now for 
12 months and it was so so rewarding to hear from people like that or even people who had cancer who are still living today my readers definitely have kept me going and are very inspiring and so positive and yeah some of them just they were just mind-blowing especially to hear that princess kate was doing the earth diet it was just so so exciting that's what made me think like okay i want to keep going And that's when I realized like, wow, this is my purpose. There's nothing in life that excites me more than thinking about food. Literally, I think about food all day, every day. Someone recently on podcast, how much of your thinking in a day is about food? And I was like, all of it is literally about food. I love thinking about it and creating recipes and talking to people about it, whether it's, you know, one-on-one patient that I'm doing work with as a nutritionist or whether I meet someone at an airport, you know, I just love talking about this and helping people and human beings. I believe like in our hearts, we are all good. You know, we have that wanting to help others. And also in the Aboriginal tribe, everyone has a gift in the tribe and it's known. So you know, okay, this person's good at food. This person's good at hunting. This person's good at music. This person's good at dancing. Everyone has their own thing and it's respected. Everyone uplifts each other to cultivate their own gifts. There's no jealousy. You know, it's not like, oh, I want to be more like that. It's like, no, you know what your gift is and you own it. And then you provide that for your community. You provide that for your tribe. And there's nothing that feels better for the heart and the soul to do that and to live that out. And so when I realized that, when it clicked, I just felt so happy and so excited about life and moving forward in my future. And here we are. So when you decided to write the book, right, did you have to put together a proposal and you pitched it to publishers or you knew you were going to self-publish or the skies open up and there was a yellow brick road to the publishing of your book or how did that actually happen? I knew no one in the publishing industry. I knew no one in general. So I didn't think about publishing. I was like, okay, I'm going to self-publish. And because it's the earth diet, you know, I wanted to do it very natural. So I went to a local printer in Long Island, New York, and I asked them, like, can you print earth diet books on recycled paper? And they were like, sure, it's going to cost you $16 a book though. And I was like, great, I'll take it. I printed a few thousand books. I borrowed money from a dear friend. Oh, such a blessing. I paid them right back once I sold the pre-orders. So I got them to print these books and I put together the book. Basically, it was like a blog. It's hilarious. I look back now, some recipes don't have measurements. It's like, add some almond flour, add some turmeric, add some salt. And then sometimes when I wanted to, as a point, I would put super bold caps locks of like, you can do it. Don't give up. Like, it's so funny. It was very practical. It had like a spiral bound. So you could like put the pages around the back, which is great for the kitchen. Cause that way you're not having to open a book and it won't close on you. You can just put the pages towards the back. So people loved it. It was so cool. I ended up selling them for 45 bucks a piece and then thousands of copies. It was your readers, your blog readers. My blog readers, I just posted it on Facebook. I started a Facebook group at the time. So I posted on Facebook. I didn't have email subscribers at the time, didn't know about that. And then after I would get the orders, I would go to the post office myself, write all the addresses out, ship them out. And then that was like taking up all my time. And I was like, wow, I think this is what publishers do. I think book publishers are in business for this reason. And then that's when I went to the book publishing route. 
Now, normally publishers will not publish a book that's already been published. So how did you seduce them into republishing your book? Well, not necessarily because publishers love a concept that's already working and they love seeing someone who's doing something that's making sales, right? So I had someone email me randomly, one of my readers, and she's like, I had a vision that Louise Hay, Hay House is going to publish your book. And I was like, oh, Louise Hay, who's that? But it resonated. I, I got goosebumps when I read it. So I Googled Louise Hay and I was like, wow, she's incredible. She's overcome a lot including cancer, sexual abuse, amazing woman. Now she has Hay House Publishing House. And then I was like, that feels like a good fit. So I called Hay House and I told them I have a book that's doing quite well and it's getting too much work for me. I'm wondering if they want to look at publishing it. And they were like, sure, send us over your sales and show us everything. So I did. And they were like, wow, you've done a really great job. And yeah, we want to take it and publish it. So they took my self-published version. They put actual measurements into all the recipes. They made everything, you know, very proper and edited really well. And then they published the Earth Diet. Beautiful. Okay. So the fact that you were able to heal yourself was very, very inspiring, but maybe you have some kind of special ability. I don't know. But as another case study, when your mom, you said she was diagnosed with stage four cancer in both breasts, she decided to do like a hybrid of the conventional and the earth diet. And how did that work out for her? Yeah. Well, my mom is still cancer free to this day, which is incredible. And she got breast cancer right after I had healed. And so she came to me and she's like, you know, I'm really devastated. I have cancer. Stage four, the doctors are really aggressively saying I need to have surgery and then do chemo and then do radiation. And I said, well, what do you feel comfortable with? And this is what I do with all my patients now and, and talk about my book as well. It's like, what do you feel comfortable with? And she said, you know what? I feel like I do want to have surgery because I just want to get it cut out and just gone. But she's like, I don't want to do chemo radiation. She said, I just think it will kill me. She said, I don't think it will survive. She says, my whole body's just telling me not to go through that process. And so I respect that too. People should be empowered to make their own decisions. And so that's what we did. And she started drinking juice. She had her first juice the day she was diagnosed first vegetable juice. So she was drinking juice every single day. She knew she had to put a lot of nutrition into her body as well. She started taking a lot of vitamin C supplements, a lot of vitamin D. And yeah, she really focused on on healing. And here she is cancer-free to this day. And the doctors continue to call her and say up to six months after and say, if you don't do chemo radiation, your cancer will come back. They were very aggressive with that. And she's just like, I just can't do that. I'm sorry. You know, she's a good testimonial to someone who's still cancer-free to this day, you know, eight years later. Yeah, and she felt really confident in that. And so a hybrid choice of treatment can absolutely work for some people. Some people only want to do natural. Some people want to do hybrid. And then others who are doing just completely conventional, you know, I respect that also. But it's like you don't want to neglect the nutrition part. That would be foolish for anyone to do is like go through chemo and not actually get the nutrients that your body needs to boost your immune system and stay strong and feel good throughout that whole process. And I have a lot of recipes 
for chemo brain is one of the symptoms going through chemo. So like a smoothie with lots of good healthy fats and collagen to help your brain during the chemo treatments. Mm. And you've also written a book called Cancer-Free Food. So the Earth Diet was a bestseller. What are some of the top foods that would help to either protect you against cancer or lower the risk of cancer or cure you from cancer? Yeah, so cancer-free with food, I researched all the foods in Earth. I really wanted to figure out, okay, what are the top foods that help prevent cancer and kill cancer cells? So the number one cancer-killing food, and this is very well known in the cancer community, it's been studied for over 30 years. Dr. Talalay really led it through John Hopkins, and it's broccoli sprouts. Hmm. Broccoli sprouts are the highest amount of sephoraphane than any other plant or vegetable on Earth. And sephoraphane is a very powerful compound that will prevent cancer cells from growing and also kill cancer cells. And so the sephoraphane is incredible. So now I have broccoli sprout powder almost every day. I have broccoli sprouts in my juice every single day. I drink a green juice. After I healed, I said to myself, why would I not drink a green juice every day for the rest of my life? Why would I Mm. not? What is the negatives? What is the downside to not having a green juice every single day? And so that's something that I've done now every day for 13 years. And so the broccoli sprouts, once I learned about that for the Cancer Free with Food book, it's in my juice. So I'm getting that compound. So I'm reducing my risk of ever growing cancer cells in my body again by having sephoraphane in my system always. What are a few others of those top foods? The top other foods are turmeric. Turmeric Mm -hmm. is excellent anti-inflammatory and dark leafy greens as well. So spinach and broccoli, cruciferous vegetables like cauliflower, cacao powder for all the chocolate Mm -hmm. lovers, cacao powder is my top 10. Cacao powder has been studied. It has anti-tumor activities in the brain and digestive system. Mm -hmm. It's It's so many antioxidants, very high in magnesium, and it helps to keep our stress levels low. And I love that they've studied it for preventing cancer. Incredible. And then also really healthy fats. So chia seeds, flax seeds also, and basically staying away from all processed foods, obviously. And if we ate straight from nature every single day, we reduce our risk of ever getting cancer and we increase our chances of healing whatever cancer we have. But then there are these top 15 foods that are really potent for preventing disease and killing the cancer cells, the ones that I've just mentioned. What are a few of the most toxic foods that we consume in the standard American diet? You can probably guess the first one, the number one most toxic food that we can consume that contributes to all health issues, all health issues, whether it's cancer, depression, acne, hormonal issues, is refined sugar, white sugar, corn syrup. The body was not designed for that. It's just not. You cannot find refined sugar in nature. You cannot. Remember, we can look to the indigenous people, our paleo ancestors, how they ate for tens of thousands of years, naturally very healthy. They ate natural sugars, honey, Honey is an excellent one because even if human beings were removed from earth, there's still going to be honey because the bees will continue to make honey. They don't need us to make honey. It's such a great gift. Like it's nature's, nature's candy. And also fruits are great alternative and things like coconut sugar. So those things our body can break down. Those natural sugars are not carcinogenic. 
Certain people with certain cancers are very sensitive. So if they eat any type of sugar, it can grow the cancers, certain types of cancer, not everyone. But for most people, if we're only eating natural sugars for our entire life, we reduce our risk of ever getting cancer. And our body can break it down. They're not neurotoxic, not carcinogenic, whereas corn syrup and white sugar is carcinogenic and is neurotoxic. And it weakens our immune system. Up to eight hours after we have a teaspoon of white sugar, our immune system is suppressed. That's a lot of work that then we have to do to stay strong mentally, to keep our energy up after we have sugar. It's just so draining. So that's the first one that's really bad. The second food that causes cancer is genetically modified organisms, chemicals grown in labs, food grown in labs, preservatives, additives, all those ingredients that we read on the back of food labels that say E50 or like all these long, crazy names. There's only so many of those that our body can process and digest. They are very acidic, very toxic. They wreak havoc on our immune system. Our lymphatic system has to work over time to try and get all those chemicals out of our body. And so those are really, really toxic. And there are 15 of them that are in our foods here in America, but they're actually banned in Australia, the UK, Canada, and Europe. But they're in foods in America. And what foods are they in? The foods that people are eating every single day, bread, sausages, hot dogs, deli meats, cereal. Cereal is completely carcinogenic. It's scary. And we can look to these other countries and be like, hmm, why are they banning them? Because they know that it's carcinogenic. And I found so many studies on these and put them all into my book to show people who want to see, you know, that hard science. So a kid eating cereal may as well be smoking a cigarette. <laughs> as oh, far yeah. As the effect that they're having on their body. I wow. Every day is one of the worst things that they can do, especially as a child, and to start the day. So if you have the most nutrient dense food, as a leftover and you pop it into the microwave, what happens? So the microwave is a form of radiation and it was banned in certain countries. And so it does change the frequency of the food and it will take out all of the nutrients. So that might trigger some people, but it definitely is taking out some nutrients. I do not eat foods from the microwave. It's such a low vibration. It does change the entire molecular structure. And, you know, some people will say, oh, well, it's still better for me to have an organic meal in the microwave than not having an organic meal at all. So sometimes we have to compare. It's like, okay, what's better? Eating an organic to-go meal in the microwave versus eating McDonald's, which also has been microwaved. Of course, having the organic meal in the microwave is a step better. It's an upgrade. And so with my work, I do meet people where they're at. And if someone's microwaving meals at, at lunch every day, you know, five days a week, if I can get them to cut back to only having one microwave meal a week, then that's a win for them. That's less carcinogen sort of going into their body, less radiation going into their body. Hmm. So you know all this, you know, a lot of stuff, you practiced it, you put it all to the test, right? You eat the earth diet and all of that. And it's wonderful. Yet, Eight years ago, you were diagnosed with anxiety and depression. So can you just talk about that experience? I mean, it must have been shocking to you having been all, you know, super strict with your diet and everything. Like, how did you make sense of that? And what did you do next? 
Yeah. So the depression was emotional. So when I was diagnosed, I was like, okay, is this physical, mental, emotional, spiritual? Like, what is this? And so the depression roots from some strong family traumas that have been unresolved that I've been working on the last couple of years. And so that's getting better from that. There are certain foods we can eat, of course, to help with depression, but I was already doing them. You know, the green juice every day, eating the cacao powder every day, that's the best thing we can do for our depression and anxiety. And with anxiety, when I was diagnosed, I was like, I think I'm working on the family traumas and and moving that out. So I was like, I have a, a feeling that this might be purely chemical, might be purely physical. So I went and did some blood tests. And even though I'm eating the earth diet and I'm mostly plant-based, right? So mostly vegan, vegetarian, I do eat well now and I'll tell you why. So I did the blood test and I was deficient in omega-3 fatty acids. And as a plant-based person, we can have so many more deficiencies. And so the doctor was like, okay, you need to eat more wild fish, more wild salmon, and keep up with your healthy fats and and take an omega supplement. And I was like, I don't want an omega supplement. I don't want fish in my body every day. But then I was like, you know what? I don't want anxiety every day either. So I started taking the omega supplement. I started more wild fish and I started to feel better. I researched all of these other healthy fats and other herbs and things that I could take for anxiety to nourish my nervous system. And I felt better within three days three days after suffering so long with anxiety and my nervous system feeling like on edge and feeling like in fight or flight mode three days I was like wait I was like is it really that simple and I was like I'll just keep doing the days day four day five day six and I was like wait I feel amazing I was like how could it be this simple there's so many people out there like myself was thinking am I crazy like what's wrong with me why do I have anxiety it could purely be a nutritional deficiency It could be that you don't have enough magnesium, you don't have enough iron, vitamin D, omega-3 fats. That's why now I'm a huge proponent of doing blood tests every six to 12 months so we can see all of our levels. And it can be such a quick, easy fix if we do have anxiety. And I was just so happy. I was like, okay, I'm telling the world about this. I was like, this is my next thing, focusing on anxiety and the foods for anxiety. And at the time I was taking 50 different like herbs, ashwagandha, astragalus, lemon balm, St. John's wort. And I eventually was like taking all 50 different supplements. I was like, let me put this all into one supplement. And that's how I came up with my idea for my very first product. Because 13 years ago when I started the blog, I was like, okay, I'll do a book. And then I was also health coaching. I became a certified nutritionist. I was selling chocolate balls at the farmer's market in New York. And then I was like, eventually I could have my own product. Like, what would it be? Would I sell a food? What would I sell? Like some kind of product. And then when I was figuring out how to treat my own anxiety naturally, I thought, okay, this could be my product is a supplement for anxiety. And so that's how my very first product came to be was formulating all of these own herbs, putting them in one capsule, and then working with a medical doctor and a pharmacist to make sure it didn't counteract with other medications and this or that. And so that's how now I have my anxiety-free supplements. So in the West, we tend to be very focused on the quick fix and the overnight solution and all of this. And obviously diet plays an important role, but you know, I think one of the things that I really loved about the earth diet is you talked a lot about lifestyle as well. Is there an order in terms of what's most important 
when it comes to getting rid of anxiety, such as, you know, if I'm working a job that sucks my soul from an abusive relationship and all of these, like, can I just pop the stress pill and everything will be fine? Or do I need to take a more of a multi-dimensional approach to this? Because I don't want people getting the idea that all I have to do is take a supplement and I can continue living this lifestyle that led to me feeling like I'm on edge all the time. Like, What would you say is most important for that supplement to actually do what it's designed to do? Yeah, yeah. And I love that you said stress pill. <laughs> yeah, I should actually call it stress pill because Amazon has a lot of issues with it being called anxiety since the FDA wants to, you know, have its claws in everything, anxiety and depression. So stress pill, I love that. So yeah, I mean, obviously anxiety can come from all types of things, right? It can come from childhood trauma. It can come from present traumas, financial stress, work stress, bad relationship, but also it can be purely physical. And so even though all those things are still going on, I tell people, this is why I created this supplement. You do take this supplement. You take this pill with all these nutrients because what it does is feeds your nervous system. It nourishes your nervous system. We all need to feed our nervous system. And it's not something we're taught at school. Like, Hey, you know, you need to feed your nervous system. And we really do need to cultivate this nourishment. And what it does is it builds a resilience up to stress and anxiety. So when our nervous system feels good and it's nourished, we feel stronger and more calm, more collected. So when stressful things happen at work or obstacles come or, you know, we get a text, like literally stress can hit us these days at any second. Our nervous system isn't going to be on edge and it's not going to feel fluttery. It's not going to be a fight or flight mode. It's going to feel strong because it has these adaptogens in there. It has these herbs. It has these strengthening foods that are very powerful that come straight from nature that help us to navigate through life and get through stress and obstacles without freaking out. We just feel so much stronger. So of course, stress is still going to happen, but it really does affect the nervous system and it does build up a tolerance to stress or resilience to it. So For example, I tell people you do need to take them for four to seven days religiously to really feel that building up in your nervous system. And people always write in and they're like, oh, I haven't taken them for three or four days. I can really feel the difference now. Now I need to build it back up. It's kind of like going to the gym. You know, you keep working on building that muscle or toning down. Like you got to keep working on that. And then, of course, you still have to do the other parts of your work, your spiritual work, your emotional work and, and healing and all of that. But we do need to nourish our nervous system for the rest of our lives, you know? And that's why also I drink the green juice every day. Cause I was like, well, I have a physical body while I have it. Okay. I have obligations and responsibilities. I don't always like it. It's not always fun, but I just accepted it. And I'm like, you know, I just have to do it because we have these things <laughs> for the rest of our lives. So may as well feel better every day. And most recently, you have written and published the anxiety was it anxiety free food book. So, what I love about you, Liana, is how you probably see the world through books and teaching now. You know, like you have an issue that you help to resolve within yourself, and you think, well, I need to share this through a book. And I know that people who create movies they see the world through movies, or people who have online courses, they see the world through online courses. And so you see the world through natural solutions presented in books. And when I was reading this book, it has a lot of very practical recipes. Normally, I'm a little intimidated by recipe books because there's so many ingredients and the whole production, but yours is very simple, very simple ingredients. 
There's one thing in there that I found really interesting because it was uh, surprising to me. And it's the conversation around wine, because I previously held the notion that no alcohol is good under any circumstances when it comes to staying in optimum health. But your, your research showed something a little different. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So alcohol is interesting. It traced back to biblical era and people have always enjoyed wine or fermented fruit, which turns to alcohol because it can change the mental state. It can take off the edge. And even the indigenous people would ferment fruit as well. And then that turns into alcohol. So the studies that I found, I was like, okay, does wine or alcohol create anxiety? Is it good for mental health or is it not? And it is a big conversation, big debate online for sure. Some people are so against it, some people for it. But I found a lot of studies that said that alcohol in moderation is actually helpful. And they said people who drink one to two a day have better mental health than people who drink three or four a day or people who even drink none at all. So I was like, wait a minute, people who drink a little bit have better mental health than people who don't drink at all. And, you know, this is interesting because it can change up the mental state. And I know it's not for everyone. I really believe alcohol is bio-individual. Some people should just never have it. It's not good for their body, their temperament or whatnot. But for a lot of people, it can actually be really helpful and really healthy to have, you know, a clean alcohol like a wine or some champagne or some tequila and just have a little bit, but not overdo it, obviously, because it can, it's the same, you know, as psychedelics and marijuana are also really helping heal a lot of people because they're able to heal their trauma, like deep trauma that's very wedged into their body. They're able to see a lightness in it and a positivity in it when they're having those substances, which are considered medicine from earth and they're able to get through them. And that's really helping, but you know, then not everyone should do psychedelics and not everyone should do marijuana. So it's very bio-individual, but I thought those studies around alcohol were fascinating. What about cider? How do we feel about cider? Yeah. Cider is great as long as they're not adding a lot of sugar to it, but cider is also fermented and is considered to be healthy, especially if it's coming from apples. And as long as it doesn't have all the added sugar, it's always the added sugar that gets us. So you have these three books out, you have your supplement out. You do coaching and are you still blogging? Are you still writing the Earth Diet blog? Has it evolved into something? Yeah, I write it on the earthdiet.com on my website. And now I still do journal, but I'll lump it in all into a week of like, I did a week in Virginia. I did a week in Florida or three days in Vegas. Here's what I ate or here's what I eat in California. And then I also will do some random topics that I think people are really wanting to find out about. Like I did one recently on the myths of calorie counting and bad fats versus good fats and why carbs are contributing to your anxiety. So stuff like that. So I'll do different types of research pieces for my blogs now. And what are maybe like five things that if we hear this conversation and we think, okay, I'm inspired. And by the way, reading your book, it's really inspired me to go to the health food store and because I've kind of fallen off a little bit, if I'm being perfectly honest, and I don't need to get back on track with all of that. What are like five things everyone should have in their cupboard or in their refrigerator if they want to start taking this seriously? And I also want you to mention your opinions or your research around water and the best kinds of water to drink and, and, and all of that. 
Sure. Yeah. So I would say, well, yeah, water is, is a separate thing. So everyone should have that, but there's five mm. things. Number one is the green drink. Sprouts. Oh. Well, broccoli sprouts is more, you know, I, I try to keep it simple for people because like broccoli okay. sprouts is great for sure, but I'd say greens is number one. So we want to mm. have the every day. So for me, I juice at home. I have the Nama, the cold pressed juicer, so I can juice and have four days of cold pressed juice in my fridge. So I'm juicing like, you know, twice a week. It's not taking much time to do that. And in that juice, I'll have celery, cucumber, lemon, ginger, and broccoli sprouts. Some people could also add orange and apple, but that's how I'm getting my green drink every day is from the juice. But then when I'm traveling, what do I do? I carry a greens powder and the greens powder also has broccoli sprouts in it as well. It's fresh greens. And then when I'm at home, I sometimes will do a chlorophyll drops as well. If for whatever reason, I don't have a juice that day or if I'm super busy. So that's number one. I say to people is like, okay, tell me how you're going to have your green juice every day. <laughs> so you might say, you know what? Okay, I'll do juicing. Or you might be like, you know, what? I'm going to start with just chlorophyll drops. Chlorophyll drops are like 24 bucks. It's going to cost you 20 cents a day. It takes five seconds. You just drop chlorophyll in there. Chlorophyll is the compound that's in dark leafy greens. It's in broccoli sprouts. Mm. It's in spinach. So we can just straight up get the chlorophyll. And that's also going to help protect our cells. And that's the best thing to do first thing when we wake up after we break the fast. Or if you're fasting, you know, first thing to do when you break the fast is to have chlorophyll. Don't have coffee or tea. Have the chlorophyll compound because that's going to go in, put magnesium into your cells, create really healthy cellular memory, protect your cells. So number one, I would say is you want to have the greens in the fridge, whether it's for the smoothie, the juice, chlorophyll or the greens powder number one because everyone needs to have greens every single day every single day people's lives change just having greens every day and if that's the only thing people change and eat whatever else the rest of the day your life is still going to change just with having the greens every day so powerful so that's number one and then number two i would say my supplements <laughs> you definitely just take care of your nervous system everyone is so on edge lately and we have heightened amount of stress and obstacles like every day all day and we're also being faced with having to deal with our childhood traumas and then also the present current day stuff it's a lot of stuff right now for our nervous system so intentionally like every single day when I take the supplement I'm like I love you nervous system thanks for helping me today thanks for helping me stay calm and strong and resilient I'm like I love you nervous system so intentionally taking them knowing you're getting ashwagandha and echinacea, ginkgo, adaptogenic herbs. Very, very powerful and very easy. I'm all for those like very simple things that we can do that create huge impact in the body because then people aren't like, oh, healthy is so hard and healthy doesn't taste good and healthy is boring. Whereas no, healthy can be simple and healthy is the most delicious and most exciting way to live. So mm. those are the two. Number three, I would say cacao powder, unless you hate chocolate. One in 100 people I meet do not like chocolate. And I'm like, oh, you're a cheese person. Okay. <laughs> if you don't like chocolate, you love cheese. So I say get cacao powder and put that in your smoothies, or you can make hot chocolate, or you can make some chocolate balls. You can melt down some chocolate. I love melting down the hue chocolate or the boo gems that are sweetened with monk fruit. I love melting those down and adding sun butter inside and making chocolate sun butter cups, just two ingredients. So all you need is the chocolate and the sun butter. Then you 
always have those in your fridge or freezer as a quick snack. Or if you're craving, you know, a dessert or trying to get off Reese's chocolate peanut butter, you eat those, the chocolate sun butter cups. I made those for the Nick Cannon show. Nick Cannon loved the chocolate sun butter cups. I put them on TV so many times. They're such a hit. People love them. And I do recommend always having a dessert or a treat always in your fridge or freezer. If you're a sweet tooth and you know that you're going to go out and eat something with refined sugar, it's better to have a really healthy alternative at home. So you can just eat that super quickly before you start to think, oh my gosh, I'm having this strong impulse. I need to just go out and eat all this refined food. So three was the cacao or the chocolate, four, sun butter, and five would be, well, yeah, I would say the broccoli sprout then. If you don't or pick that as your green, get the broccoli sprouts. You can get them delivered, the actual sprouts, or you can get the broccoli sprout powder and have that every day. If you're not concerned about preventing disease or cancer, if that's, you know, not your thing, it creates a lot of in the body and it also is really great for depression and anxiety so if anything it's going to help your mental health for the rest of your life as well when i think about these mediterranean diets and those societies and particularly you know the ones that are in europe there's a lot of bread consumption you know and you think people go out for baguettes in the morning people go out and have croissants there's a whole thing with sourdough being the best like how are you thinking about bread consumption for people who maybe not be interested in being gluten free or anything like that is there a particular type of bread they should be consuming more of yeah so bread is an interesting one so even the aboriginals would make their own tortillas and if we look at all ancient civilizations there is a wheat and wheat is natural right mm-hmm. and you could- it is a gift from God. We're meant to eat it because it comes from nature. And so, you know, our paleo ancestors lived off it for a long time and it has gluten, which is to fill us up. And gluten is meant to fill up our guts and make us feel very satiated and very full. But nowadays, wheat has changed so much from then because back then it was pure. It wasn't contaminated. Now it's one of the biggest crops in the world, especially in America. It's one of the top five. Whatever the top five crops are in America is what we need to stay away from. So we do need to stay away from conventional wheat. But the good news is for bread lovers, including myself, I used to eat bread every single day when I was in the binge eating mode. So we can still eat bread, but we want to make sure it's as high quality and natural as possible. We want to make sure it's the wheat that our paleo ancestors were eating that's healthy. And so sourdough is great because it has that fermentation, organic sourdough. And usually people who make sourdough bread, they want to use high quality wheat who make sourdough. So that's what's good. So the way I treat gluten for myself is I don't want to cut it out of my life completely. You know, I don't have celiacs. It's not necessary for me to cut it out. I love bread. I enjoy it. I forget about eating it because I'm focused on my foundational diet from the earth. So many plants and vegetables and good, healthy meats and wild fish. So I'm focused on that. So when you live like that, you forget about eating bread. You're like, oh, it's been a month and I haven't had bread. So I allow myself to have bread or gluten about once a month on average. And it's usually once a month when I'll crave and be like, wow, okay, it's time for me to have some bread. I'll go to Whole Foods or, or an organic bakery and I'll get an amazing organic loaf of sourdough and I will enjoy it. Sometimes I might eat half the loaf, but I'm like, this is incredible. I'm like, this is so great. And then after that, I'm fulfilled to keep going. But I do not believe having bread every day is a functional food. I don't think eating gluten every day or bread every day is a good idea. Unless you're an athlete, 
and you are burning through food like fuel because most people cannot digest gluten. It takes so much energy from the body and from the digestive system. And we really have to make sure we're detoxing on a regular basis, our gut, at least once a year, if we are eating gluten. And gluten has just changed so much. And conventional bread in America does have preservatives that are banned in the other countries. And so we definitely don't want to eat conventional bread. But, you know, when people give up gluten for seven days, they feel so much lighter, more energy, more mm. focused. So I always tell my clients and patients is like, when you're looking at bread or gluten, you want to look at it like a treat. Like, okay, it's not your foundational diet. It's not an everyday thing, unless you're an athlete, but you can have it every now and then and still be really healthy. Curious, Liana, how are you thinking about success these days for yourself, just personally? Success for me these days is having a balance of having a successful career, my purpose, my mission of helping people. And Mm -hmm. that looks like what impact am I making with people? And that's separate to how much money I'm making because Mm -hmm. I do believe there's a difference there. And some people are more interested in making money, whereas other people are more interested in making an impact. And so I think having that balance for me is important. And that's how I view success. And then also having a balanced personal life, you know, working on my spiritual journey and sure I'm very peaceful in my soul and knowing that I'm not going to live much longer on this earth. I do want to live to 100, but still that's not very long. And just developing my soul and my my spiritual journey, that to me is the most success. If I can consistently be a harmonious person, a peaceful person, a person that has a good heart and is helping people, I view that as more success than someone who's in technology or making a lot of money, you know, especially because I do want to have children. That's how I want to raise them is like, you will be more successful if you have a good heart than if you have a million dollars and a bad heart. Having a good heart is, is to me, the most successful thing is helping people and helping strangers or helping our neighbors and being open to that, never being too busy to not be able to help our neighbor or help a stranger or someone we meet on the plane or someone who really you know needs our help and staying open to that and using that intuition to be able to help that person in that that moment i really do believe success is helping each other and helping people and it seems like you've had a very clear relationship with your own intuition as evidenced by the fact that you chose the path of healing that you chose when you were 21 and you were diagnosed and then when you were 26 and you were also diagnosed with anxiety, it's almost like you knew what to do and you really listened to your heart and followed that inner guidance. So I'm curious, now that you're in your 30s, if you could go back and give your 26-year-old self or 21-year-old self any advice from what you've sort of picked up over these last eight years or so, what what would you say to her as she was dealing with that diagnosis and, and starting to navigate it? Well, I mean, even before that, I would have said to myself as a young teenager, I would have said, you're not always going to feel good in life. You are going to be hit with stress and maybe depression, maybe anxiety. So when that happens, you want to eat natural foods from earth. I would have given myself the earth diet. And this is why I love going to schools and teaching kids. And I tell them like, here, you're learning this now so you can avoid what I had to go through. You can still eat things like candy and chicken nuggets and fries. But 
there has to be guidelines. There just does. We have a physical body. We do have to follow certain rules. It's just how it goes. So I wish I knew that obviously, and it had avoided my whole sickness. And, you know, my body has really healed and transformed and bounced back now, but I still would have wanted to avoid all of that, that sickness that I went through and all the weight gain and everything. And then when I was 21 going through it, I don't think I would have told myself anything different. Just mm, no, because I, I mean, I had confidence. I really feel like I was very aligned at that time. What I would have told my 26 year old was, I would have said spend less time, like after when I was 26 diagnosed with depression, anxiety, I would have said spend less time on your career and the physical world of wanting to make money and wanting to buy clothes and like your outside appearance, spend less time on that and more time going inward. And I personally find so much peace reading the Bible, connecting with God, going inward and looking at my childhood traumas and like, why is this still paralyzing me today? And I would have said, do more time on that work, like four hours a day, you know, spend four hours a day on that spiritual self, mental, emotional work. I would have said, do that because that's the most important thing. Cause then you're going to be more successful later because you'll spend less time working. You'll be more impactful, more effective. The times you actually are working with your career and success. And then also a lot of people have midlife crises. And when I've done this healing work now and seen a lot of healers and all that kind of thing. And they're like, even last year I went to Sedona and they were like, wow, you're 34 doing this work. You're young. And I was like, uh, I feel like I've been struggling with this for a long time. It feels kind of old. They're like, no, a lot of women who experience what you did, you know, with the family traumas, they're like, they don't face that until they're 50 or 60. And sometimes they just die with it. And I was like, wow, okay, because that's a lot of suffering to hold, right? And so that's the only thing I would have told myself differently when I was 26 was like, go and do that work. Get your confidence with God, not from the world. Don't get affirmation from the world and look in the wrong places of money and success and career and all of that. That's not where that my affirmation comes from. My affirmation comes from my heart, the impact I'm helping people and from God and then having that peace and that confidence from that. So that's what I'm doing now. And it feels great. (laughs) Well, I tell you, I I still remember that afternoon when you and I met, it was a Sunday afternoon at full circle in Venice. And I remember you being so present and so clear. And it was like, you knew things because you'd been through things, obviously. And that presentation was very, very powerful for me personally. So this has been such a delightful conversation to fill in all of the gaps in between what happened before then and what has happened since then. And I've obviously seen you here and there throughout the years. You're one of those people in my life that I always feel very uplifted by whenever I'm in your presence. So just want to thank you very much for being so committed to your path and dedicated to your mission. It definitely has left an impact on many, many lives, myself included. And I'm just honored to be able to call you a friend. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you, Light, so much. I love that our paths have crossed and they continue to keep crossing. It's just beautiful. And you're such a blessing to my life and to the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Liana Werner Gray. To get more information about Liana's work, I suggest following her on social media at Liana Werner Gray, which is spelled L-I-A-N-A-W-E-R-N-E-R-G-R-A-Y 
All of her books, The Earth Diet, Cancer-Free Food, and Anxiety-Free Food, are found everywhere books are sold. You can get more information about her anxiety-free supplement at lianasorganics.com. And of course, we'll put everything in the show notes, which you can find at lightwatkins.com. While you're there, you can search the past podcast episodes by subject matter. So if you want to see more episodes about people who've taken a leap of faith or people who've overcome health challenges or people who've overcome financial struggles, you can get a list of all of those specific episodes about those particular subjects on the website. Also, if you're feeling inspired by these stories and you want to make sure that this podcast continues to not just stick around for a while, but to grow, the best way to support that mission is to leave a rating or a review for the podcast, which you can do right now really quickly by just glancing at your phone screen and on the Apple Podcast app, you want to go to the name of this podcast, click it, scroll down past the previous episodes and you will see five blank stars. And all you need to do is tap the star on the far right, and you've left a five-star rating. Thank you very much for that. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story from the end of the tunnel. And until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, and keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you and have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.